the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens all of the dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch of dough, as you really are unleavened. For our paschal lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The Apostle Paul, at 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, deals with our need to rid ourselves of malice, wickedness, or evil intent in our Christian life together. In the context of this portion of chapter 5, Paul actually had a particular situation in mind. Someone, it seems, in the body of believers needed to be held accountable and expelled, Paul said, because of some behavior that was morally unacceptable. The report was that a man was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. I imagine that Paul was often busy putting out little fires, so to speak, in the life of the churches he tried to advise and guide. But I also imagine that this kind of a situation was more serious than the kind of scenarios that he normally had to attend to. In general, it seems that the Corinthian church had a tendency as a faith community to take sides and argue and split into factions. They were still trying to really figure out how to do Christian life together and to hang on to a sense of unity. And I think that you might recall that Pastor Elaine also mentioned some of those kinds of problems in her sermon last week. You know, there was such a lack of unity and mutual care sometimes in the community for one another that it seems to have been kind of a root problem in some ways for the Corinthian church, striving to have unity. In our brief passage for today, I think, for me, the most striking thing is that even though Paul was addressing a particular situation, which led him to advise, of course, that they must not allow wickedness to be generated in the family of Christ, the church, even so, I feel that it also has a deep implication about holding ourselves spiritually accountable, each of us, in a more individual way as well. Now, in that sense, maybe we're not really talking about major violations of a moral code in our own lives of faith, at least I hope not. But I have ruminated on these last couple of weeks couple of weeks I've ruminated on what Paul's metaphor of being the bread of sincerity and truth might mean. I think that somehow it mistakenly probably got put in your bulletin today that my sermon is on the bread of simplicity and truth. Well, I guess that probably works too, you know. This metaphor of the bread of sincerity and truth, as Paul calls it, or at least according to one translation, is something that Paul puts in contrast to bread of wickedness, strife, harm toward others, or the delusion of thinking that an individual's actions don't affect the whole group. Indeed, our actions do affect the whole group, don't they? 
The only way that we can learn to live in a way that's congruent with what we say we believe about Christ is to learn to replace selfishness, pride, and harm toward others with things like honesty and good intent and mutual trust. Like the unleavened bread that the Jewish Passover feast utilized, I feel that Paul's statement implies at least that we must clear out our old yeast in all the nooks and crannies of our own spiritual lives, our minds, our spirit, our body. Because we are called to be different from the world around us. We've been made new by the power of Christ who dwells in us. That means something. Even so, what often works against us is the seemingly small but really insidious points of wrongfulness in our lives, the things we don't want to face about ourselves, right? And all those things can end up doing damage to the health of our own souls if we let it. The world has a way of tolerating insincerity and dishonesty in daily living. We seem to have a real tolerance for that. But our society also tends to see and celebrate freedom as defined by being able to do whatever we want. That's hardly what it means to be free. Just like in the children's moment, actually, it occurs to me that that was a problem. You know, the kids didn't have direction. They didn't have rules they could hang on to, or at least they didn't feel like they could. And certainly they were being led to just have freedom to go wild and do whatever, right? It didn't feel right to them, did it? In 1 Corinthians, Paul implies that we do have the ability to live life in such a way that our mind is the mind of Christ. We've been given that gift, believe it or not. We can learn to love as Jesus loved, but... In order to do that, we can't allow all that harmful junk to develop in our hearts, minds, and souls. And all of this leads me to bring up my own additional metaphor, okay? Take it or leave it, but I think it might be helpful for you. Picture it this way. There are normally lots of breadcrumbs hiding at the bottom of your toaster. Have you noticed that? But if we never disturb it, turn it over, and shake that toaster around a bit, we never have the chance to clear out all those crumbs. Right? And so it is in our lives of faith. In other words, all that unhealthy debris can collect and do damage, and it weighs us down. It makes us feel sick in ways that are spiritual. But after each clearing of spiritual debris, we are free to engage in the life of discipleship in an even more stable and healthy way, even as we embrace what it means to live each day as a liberated soul, redeemed by the love of God. Amen for that. We didn't do it. God did it in us. Prayer and reflection about ourselves, about God, about our lives of faith can have a powerful, powerful effect upon our ability to grow as people of faith and grace. We must believe that. 
God is taking us somewhere good in us, about us, through us, and around us. It can help us to become what it means, I guess, to really be the bread of sincerity and truth. The ancient Israelites, you know, as they were led out of their bondage to the Egyptian pharaoh, they were in such a hurry, of course, for obvious reasons, to head toward freedom that they couldn't wait around for yeast to rise, right? So they ate the unleavened bread. Now, metaphorically speaking, we, the body of Christ, the church, are the bread of the new covenant. Therefore, we choose to embrace a life of sincerity, truth, and honesty, which is not an easy task. It is, however, the path to liberation for our souls. Otherwise, we will feel spiritually sick. We can't let ourselves get puffed up by all the negative effects of evil, and it only takes a little bit of it, Paul says, to have a bad effect on our relationships and for the whole body of Christ. But in all of this, we must rely on the goodness and grace of God. Perhaps one way we can clean out the bottom of our toaster, by using my uh, metaphor, is by utilizing the daily examine. It's an age-old spiritual practice that was espoused and taught by St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 16th century. Basically, what we're talking about is a very intentional look into our spiritual life on a regular basis. Looking deeply at how we experience God and where we are in that spiritual walk. Such a prayerful reflection upon the events of our day can help clarify for us what God is doing in our lives of faith. And it can raise our awareness about where we still need to keep growing in grace in order to live like we have the mind of Christ. With God's help, we can celebrate the goodness of God and become the bread of sincerity and truth that Christ desires us to be. I think it's interesting that Paul tells the believers at Corinth, your boasting is not a good thing. It made me chuckle when we saw the uh, video representation of the, of the parts of the scripture reading. And what was he doing when the boasting came? Flexing his muscles, right? We often boast. And sometimes about the wrong things, too. Paul indicates that some of the people are actually proud of the kind of sexual impropriety that was going on. And he was quite dismayed. Paul was especially upset in this case, I think, because of the blatant disregard for holding someone accountable for such actions. Now, I can imagine that it might have struck a little less volatile chord in Paul if he could at least suspect that the congregation had been struggling and trying to figure out how to do the job of bringing gracious correction. But instead, it seems that some of them apparently are passing it off and even bragging about the bad behavior. I think it's possible that this kind of overlooking or this kind of being proud of such behavior happened over time, don't you think? It was a slow slide in that direction. I suspect that the early Christians often had trouble with living out what it means to be a believer in Christ, trying to puzzle that out. They probably had questions, I imagine, like, 
What's expected of me now that I profess Christ as my Savior? Or maybe the question of what is my obligation toward rules about living my life when it comes to bodily pleasures? Do those bodily pleasures have anything to do with my life of faith? Since I can live in freedom now that I have freedom in Christ, I need direction. I think I can see, though, perhaps step by step, bit by bit, it would be easy to wind up allowing one particular immoral action, then another, until finally it would kind of seem like a free-for-all, right? Or at least that might be the case without direction and advice. And I think that's what Paul was trying to give. Take just a moment now to listen to the same Bible passage, but this time coming from the message, which, granted, is a version that puts the reading into a lot more contemporary type language. Therefore, I don't really tend to use it for scholarly study to dig deep. But in this case, I was struck by the way that Eugene Peterson paints a picture with the words. And I think it really gets at the idea of how being prideful and arrogant is precisely what we need to avoid in order to live as Jesus would have us live. So here's how the message phrases things. Your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works its way through a whole batch of dough pretty fast. So, get rid of this yeast. Our true identity is flat and plain, not puffed up with the wrong kind of ingredient. The Messiah, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal, and we are the unraised bread part of the feast. So let's live out our part of the feast, not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flat bread, simple, genuine, unpretentious. For me, I think what it comes down to is this. We, if we really believe that Jesus is the Lord of our lives and that we love God and that God is love and Jesus is the most explicit expression of the kind of love that God wants us to give to others, then it behooves us to look deeply and on a regular basis at the ways that we ourselves are acting. That's hard spiritual work. That takes effort and courage. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, I see Paul as addressing the fact that it's hard enough to lead a life that stays on the moral path, but it certainly works against all of us if we proudly accept immorality within the body of believers. It's hard enough to stay faithful in the face of what the secular pressures might lead us to think is okay in our hearts, in our actions, and in our intent toward others. So my goodness, it's let's not make our strife and our troubles even worse by saying it's okay right here in our community of faith to keep doing things that harm one another and harm our relationships with one another. But all of that has to do with community, doesn't it? However, I also think that each of us must look deeply within ourselves. It has to begin there. And then we can truly grow together in our faith as a people of God. And that takes...
takes self-examination. It's a little bit like when Jesus tells his listeners to not worry about the little speck in someone else's eye if there is a big old log in their own eye, right? And I think specifically, Paul is indicating that the one who needs to look at the self instead of the other is the body of Christ, the church. Furthermore, I think the two things have to go together. In other words, I really think that unless we engage in our personal spiritual work of self-examination, it's pretty hard to come together and examine our level of sincerity and truthfulness as a family of Christ. There are lots of ways, I think, that we could kind of easily and simply phrase some of the questions that can guide us as we perform in ourselves kind of a spiritual practice of daily examine. There's lots of ways, I think. But I really like the way that Reverend Ryan Dunn phrased it. He's a minister of online engagement for Rethink Church and United Methodist Communications. And so I'll share those questions with you in just a few moments. I think the wording really hits home for our topic today. Just imagine what might change for the better in each of our lives if we really spent time with these spiritual questions on a regular basis. Taking some time to consider the events of our day, maybe at the end of the day, or maybe any time throughout the day, any time we want to empty the toaster of its debris. I'd like to offer these questions so that you might have a moment to ponder them in your spirit. I invite you to close your eyes. Be in a mode of prayer and reflection as I read each question. I'll give you just a moment of silence after each. Let us begin with prayer. Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know it. But I also know that I am loved by you. I am part of a faith community, and I am loved. I want to be aware of your love, O oh God, even in my daily life. Help me to grow in my ability to base my life on sincerity and truth, not on some fake facade that is prideful and judgmental. I want to show others the kind of love that comes from you. I want to live in ways that speaks your love acts out your love, proclaims your love as something that is life-changing and everlasting. If there are things that I harbor in myself that do not fit with what it means to live a life of love, then help me to declutter and to eliminate such unhelpful, evil, or dishonest things and help me to replace them with what is good, caring, and truthful. And so help me also, Lord, to consider these questions in my mind, my heart, and my soul today. Am I aware of you, God, in this moment? What am I grateful for right now? When did I experience love today? Was there an opportunity in which I missed sharing love with others?
What, I, what might I learn from that, God? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.